Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. We're here. It's finally grand final time. Cannot even believe it. And what a grand final we have in store. It will be Melbourne taking on Adelaide. We cannot wait for that game. Obviously, we need to talk a little bit about how those two teams got to the big dance. We need to preview the grand final as well. And we're also in the midst of award season. So we need to have a little bit of a chat about who is winning the big accolades. But before we crack into all of that, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, Anna Harrington, and Marnie Vinyl. So... Girls, let's talk about the footy. It was good footy. It's been a big week. We'll start off quickly with a recap of the two prelims that we got to witness. Money and I were watching at the G, the Demons defeat Brisbane. So tell us a little bit about that game, Money. We were at the G and I brought a few of my friends who aren't as in the footy crowd to the point where I was sitting with a bunch of my Canadian friends who they were asking me questions like so how do they score and like what's a penalty and like Darcy Vessio sitting right in front of us Sarah Perkins behind us I was like she makes me look bad no I love that they were there and it was a great time so that was yeah Melbourne v Brisbane and it was also really good because it was such a tight contest and such a tight game it was low scoring and I think from the outset you can mistake that for being a boring game but it really wasn't. It was exciting up until the very end. By halftime, both teams had only kicked one goal each. There was so much defensive pressure. And then Melbourne broke it open in the third quarter. Alyssa Bannon kicked three goals. She's such an exciting player. She's got so much, so much speed. The pace on her, unchaseable, and it's so exciting. And then 36 seconds to go. There's only one goal in it. And if there's one team that could get a goal in that time. It's probably Brisbane, but unfortunately for them, uh, a free kick was given Melbourne's way right at the centre and it was kind of all over Red Rover, but a very, very exciting and tight game. The thing about Melbourne, isn't it? It, it doesn't matter what day it is, someone's going to step up and, and mm. kick the goals they need. It's, it seems to be the thing that sets them apart from, from everyone else. Like if if Taylor Harris isn't clunking big contested marks or isn't hitting the scoreboard, Alyssa Bannon is stepping in or Daisy Pierce is, is kicking five or you're getting some midfielders chip in or Kate Hoare is, is getting a bag of goals. Like they're so dangerous. Like, and it doesn't matter how strong your defense is when you've got a midfield like Melbourne's that use the ball so well and they're very organized. They work so hard and, we talked about it pre-season as, as adding Taylor Harris could be the difference for them. And it seems mm. like it has been, not because she's just been the standout player and, you know, the big centre-half forward or anything like that, but just because it's another dimension that's been added. Like we knew what Kate Hawke could do. Um, obviously throwing Daisy Pierce forward has has proved a really smart move and they do shuffle her here and there. Um, Bannon's development, but having someone like Harris who you know you can go up the line and be your get-out option, but can also take them close to goal. She's improved her set shot goal kicking, I'd say, as well. Confidence plays a big role in that. She's clearly backed in at Melbourne is, and is enjoying her time there, but they're just so dangerous. Like it, mm. it, is, it does feel like if you put one down, another one's going to pop up and you have to be so disciplined across the ground just to stop them getting anything into that forward line because where maybe 
in the past they weren't necessarily so ruthlessly efficient. Now, if they're getting it in there, you know that the ball use is going to be good. You know that they've got the the tolls who can take grabs and they've got the players at ground level as well. Mm. And it seems to just be working so, so, so well. Um, it's, it's quite quite intimidating, I imagine, to come up against. Yeah, Eliza McNamara, I would also, in that, mm. she's, she's a small player, but her goal on the weekend was so exciting. And you're right, they've got those tools and then they've got smallers, smalls. <laughs> they've got smalls like McNamara as well who are just, you know, bagging those goals. And um, there's a good piece that um, Gemma Bastiani actually did on the AFL website today that sort of goes into detail a bit about how how the Melbourne forward line works and some of the different approaches they've taken, be it the classic, you know, Harris either marks or it gets down to the crummers or pushing her up the ground to create some space for those runners like McNamara to get to work. It's mm. it's really, it's been really well worked and it's really well disciplined. And I think throwing Pierce forward gives that extra bit of leadership around there. And we know what sort of smarts and or footy smarts she has, especially around goal. It's it's just been a really, really exciting forward line. And you know, like Brisbane, they countered the the Harris approach this time. <laughs> you just get overwhelmed by weight of numbers. And when you've got a bit of an anomaly of a player in Alyssa Bannon, who's got some height, got the speed. And I think it's almost a trademark of these players that have come up playing footy for so long, just has that nous and knows where the goals are. Just from, you know, it's repeat action, just playing over and over and over again. And obviously the natural talent comes into that as well. So it's very exciting. Yeah, and credit to Brisbane as well, who got very close. They've had such a disrupted season. They haven't had COVID go through their camp, I believe, but they had had all of those fixture changes and they were on the road for so long and playing such close games. So tightly together. So to get, you know, one goal from the grand final, pretty good effort from them. They should be proud. It was an unbelievable grandstand finish, as you said, Marnie, and Brisbane really kind of took it right to them. We almost had another situation where Brisbane are are kicking for the win after the siren. Greta Bodie may well have been on the end of one of those marks. Who knows? We'll never know. But you guys are so right in the sense that just Melbourne were able to turn it on. I did think it was interesting. So as I said, Marnie and I were there. It was raining. In Melbourne, it was very much footy weather and that first half where the rain was relatively consistent, it was quite a a grind of a game. The heavens clear for that third quarter and all of a sudden Melbourne really turns it on in in that third quarter as well. So I do wonder how much the conditions really helped the Ds in kind of putting their stamp on this game and just creating that little bit of breathing room that they eventually were able to to hold on to and get this win yeah well it's interesting with Brisbane because what I've noticed over this season is they take a little second to get going and then once they find their momentum they are basically unstoppable but here you had the rain they can adjust to those conditions but then the rain stops the sun comes out in Melbourne run a riot so good point interesting then you look at the other final and you kind of felt for Fremantle because it felt like the Crows just locked into gear. Like it wasn't yeah. a thrashing or anything like that, but it was a very controlled, I think, performance from the Crows. They're so disciplined. They set up so well. We know that they've got some star power, um, especially in the midfield with players like Hatchet and Manoff, but they just have quality on every line and they know what they're doing. They're so organised and de- did they ever really look like losing? I, I don't think so. I think you went into that game thinking, and there's no no like slight on Fremantle, but Adelaide at home, here we go. 
And that's the thing that fascinates me going into this grand final because we know that Adelaide did a number on Melbourne last time around and they were just fierce with their pressure. They were so disciplined. They really suffocated the Ds who obviously love to play. It's very pretty football that Melbourne play. They're tough around contests, but they play. It's very a very attractive brand of football. Like they use their runners, lovely kicking, well well structured. And that's going to be fascinating, I reckon, come this grand final because we've seen Adelaide smother them once. And we know that finals, it's that next level of heat. You guys were just talking about the prelim and when the rain was coming down, it made it very, it, it does make it more difficult for, I guess, a team like Melbourne to, to show their wares. But we know that Adelaide are going to bring that sort of full level, like nonstop, uncompromising pressure. And then you got your star power who, when it's locked up at contest, players like Marinoff and Hatchard can get to work. You've got Woodland, who's been such a revelation this season up front. And I don't envy Melbourne having to go up against this Adelaide team. It it feels like, um, it it, it just feels like a really daunting task, as good as Melbourne have been. Um, I don't know what you, you guys think. It's, I just feel like Adelaide are so disciplined and they get so much right. I know the last grand final obviously didn't go to plan, but it's going to take a hell of an effort for Melbourne to overcome them over there. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing as well with that discipline is experience. This is the fourth grand final that Adelaide have ever been in, in five grand finals. The third time that they're hosting, and they've got two flags already in 2017, 2019. And on their current active list, they've got eight players that were involved in both of those flags and then another five that earned a medal in 2019. So that's a that's a huge slew of players who have already played grand finals, know what it feels like to play a grand final and also to win a grand final where you've got Melbourne, who's the flip side of that. It's their first ever grand final and they've come close so many times but they've never actually run out so I don't know whether that'll potentially be on their side and they'll have that like hunger and a little bit of extra desire and oomph behind them or if Adelaide's experience can help them stay composed under all of that pressure that playing on the big stage really does have. I'd love to know your guys thoughts on this if you're Melbourne do you contemplate a tag do you put or a run with role? Like, do you try and nullify one of Hatchard and Marinoff? It's, it's, it's funny because it's been the conversation in the men's league over the last mm. few weeks and there's always the two sides, right? You have your system and your structure and then you have the, do you knock out a bit of that to, to nullify one of these players? Like, we know that Hatchard and, and Marinoff combined for something like, I was seeing on the, on the AFL site, just to check these stats before, something like 55 disposals and 800 odd metres gained between them. You're not going to win many games if you're letting... I mean, two of the top three players on the league based on the league best and fairest get that much of the ball. Yeah. Well, the thing with Adelaide as well is they've got so much experience on that ground. So even if you do tag one, you nullify one, another one's going to pop up, just as you mentioned with Melbourne and their forward line. I think both teams have so much experience and have so much youth as well that are really coming through the ranks. So if you do put a lot of effort into stopping one player, others were just going to be at the forefront mm. and I think you know they've also got Rochelle Martin in the Crows and I think she flies a bit under the radar a little bit in terms of how much we talk about um the star players for the Crows because there's so many but I mean I think if if you nullify you know Hatchard or Marinoff she's just going to step up and then fill that role anyway 
it's it's really it is really going to be about how well the demons handle the pressure, right? Like Brisbane mm. clearly tried that in the prelim; it worked to a certain level. But you'd have to think you see it so often in sports that when you cop a loss, you can come back and learn from it, and you know push forward and actually get the result this time around. Because Adelaide will surely look at what they did last time and go, "Well, this works brilliantly against Melbourne. Like, let's give this a crack." So it's going to be a real challenge, I think, for Melbourne to to sort of weave their way through that sort of web of pressure and find a, a way to go. And as we were talking about with Gemma's piece before, they um, mixed in and co clearly worked their way through the setup that Brisbane used to nullify the, the Harris and Crummers approach and mm. change their forward line structure. You lean on the speed of players like Bannon and McNamara and that worked really well for them. So you got two really good coaches as well, which, which adds another level of intrigue. It's, it's not simple like kick mark goal stuff like <laughs> these are two two really smart coaches that have as we mentioned before really disciplined teams teams that know their roles so well and we've we've mentioned Adelaide's experience but Melbourne have a lot as well and they've got a lot of hurting players and a lot of them that weren't ever able to get this experience because they've fallen short you think of 2018 when the Bulldogs won the flag the D should have been in there mm. because you think that was that game where Alicia Newman missed you know, did everything and then missed the, the sitter at the end. And, you know, they've fallen short so many times. And But a lot of these players, when they've played in the past in, um, it's now the VFLW, obviously, with Darabin, they won grand final after grand final after grand final. And yeah. there's, they just, and Taylor Harris um, is someone who's, you know, been there in grand finals, but on the losing side. So there's a lot of hunger and hurt and I guess experience that, on the other side. So sometimes, sometimes it feels like they need to learn to, to lose big games to win them next time. And you wonder what sort of, I guess, drive and experience and, and lessons, not learnings, lessons, they take out of, I guess, these past experiences too. Yeah, and Melbourne, they've won the second most games in the competition history just behind the Crows. I think I would have assumed not having read that previous to this that it would have been Brisbane because we often talk about Brisbane and Adelaide as the top two sides in the comps history and grand finals will say yes that is true but Melbourne have just come so close year on year as you say you know they lost the prelim to Adelaide last year and they missed out before that on percentage with the conference system but when it comes to actual scoring and winning games they are right up there as the second best currently in the entire competition. So you're right. I think that they are going to be hurting for not having the accolades that they potentially deserve for all of the hard work that they really have put in. And they're going to be really, really hungry for it. And you've got so much experience on that side with Daisy and with Paxman. And you've got so much youth that are also so excited to be in a grand final for the first time. It, it could be the difference. And also in last year's prelim final, when they met, Adelaide won on efficiency so they actually had less scoring shots, but were just more accurate. And we know that Adelaide can be pretty inaccurate when it comes to kicking. So if Melbourne can do similar to what they did last year and just keep Adelaide from being as accurate with, you know, tackling pressure, especially in their defensive arc, they could they could very well win this. It's also about how, where you force them out to take their set shots from, right? Because yeah. you look at players like Marinoff and Hatchard, they're going to, they're going to create opportunities and Phillips as well. They're going to create shots on goal. But what you see is when teams are really well set up defensively, they force them rather than, you know, 30 out straight in front, that kick's got to happen on an angle or it's got to happen a bit further yeah. out. I think discipline is going to be a big thing for both these teams, which they're 
they're both generally very good at. You don't want to be giving away mm. cheap 50s and and that sort of thing. It, it is just an exciting matchup, though, because it does feel like as much as Adelaide won last time, Melbourne feel like the form team, the team that are coming in to this final off the back of being able to have patches in games where they just steamroll teams. They just score and score and score and score. Uh, so it's that's another thing in terms of Adelaide. Like, can you hold firm? Um, can you hold firm when Melbourne do get on the roll? And in Melbourne's case, it's not picking out Adelaide's interceptors. It's when you get on those little runs of form. Because while against a lesser team, you might be able to, you know, get a f- two or three bites at the cherry to to kick a goal. Adelaide are going to be so much sharper if if they let one inside fifty in. They're not going to let repeat ones happen mm-hmm. over and over again because their ball winners are just too strong. Their intercepting players are too smart and too well positioned. You're not going to get chance after chance after chance. So it's it's going to be one where you have to make the most of your opportunities. For me, this grand final is very much the unstoppable force meets immovable object kind of scenario because Melbourne's nice. best is unstoppable force. Like you were literally just describing that repeat entries, the continued pressure, finding those run of two, three, four goals. That's what they do. But Adelaide's best is, and again, the word you use, suffocating. I think that was a piece, uh, a word that Gemma Bastiani used in her analysis of the Crows as well. It's just they, you know, they win by making the other team submit, basically. It's very brutal almost and very defensive, but it's worked. So I just see these two opposing forces coming to kind of clash at the Adelaide Oval. And I think it's going to be who can kind of assert their strong point better, if that makes sense. So it's going to be a a phenomenal grand final. I think there's absolutely no doubt about that. You two were both kind of nerding out about some stats that you received earlier today about this grand final. So a little bit of stat time. Share your your best, most interesting stat ahead of this grand final. So we got the media release of the key stats for ahead of the grand final, and there are some tasty ones in there. So both Adelaide Crows and Melbourne have a 72% win rate, the best in AFLW history. It's exciting. Taylor Harris will become the first player across AFLW, AFL and BFL history to play in a grand final for three different teams. Brizzy Lions in 2017, Carlton 2019 and now Melbourne 2022. 92 people have played in a VFL, AFL grand final for two different teams, but no one has played in three. So I think if we flesh this out a bit, that's a mammoth effort, especially when, what, no men no man, no man has done this. <laughs> it blew my mind hearing that stat. I was like, oh, surely there would have been one. But no, she's the first, which is quite incredible given, you know, the the short span of the, the competition. This is only its sixth season and only its fifth grand final because of the COVID year. Um, <laughs> but, like, for Harris, obviously we know that um, she left Brisbane. She was in that first grand final with Brisbane. She left there and then got poached by Carlton a year after that sort of went well for a bit. And then we know that the falling out and she's moved to Melbourne and it, you know, you don't get into grand finals by chance. Like Taylor Harris hasn't just fallen into three grand final teams, right? Like she's clearly played her role in, in all three of these teams. She was a key player for Brisbane when they first made it, played a role at Carlton. And as we, we sort of touched on before, has had a real resurgence again at Melbourne where she seems happy. She's playing really well. She, 
is at times the the main target and at times works as more of as more of a foil and just seems to really be enjoying her football there. The other rough stat for her though is both grand finals she's been in so far, she's lost. Mm. So it's either going to be third time lucky or she's going to, you know, make history in her own right for perhaps being the most poorly favoured grand oh, finalist no. across <laughs> across three teams. Like um it's, it's quite, it was just an incredible stat when that one came mm. through, Marnie. I was like, I, c- I can't believe no one has done this for three teams before. Like, not necessarily win a grand final, but just to be in them um, yeah. across three clubs. It's um, When you think how many players have played for, for multiple clubs. Yeah, it's hugely amazing. And she could also create some more history because she's currently on 47 career goals. Erin Phillips is on 49. So if Harris kicks... Three, if Phillips kicks one, they could join Darcy Vessio as on the 50 career goals. First AFLW players to it. So look out for that if you're watching. What's another one? Um, I like the Lily Mitham one there. But, um, yeah. It's a very random one. The Stados have really got to work here. But um, her, her grandfather's cousin, Laurie Mitham, who played for Melbourne, it says they'll have a combined record of eight grand finals. I mean, to be fair, Laurie's played in seven. So <laughs> yeah, that's like, pretty funny. I'm not, I'm not sure Lily's <laughs> added a heap to the family record there, but that's so it does funny. run in the family at Melbourne. So seven for Laurie Mithin and the one for, for Lily Mithin. I thought that Sorry, was quite combined a... Combined eight. A bit I of a reach just... of a stat, but a fun one. Grandfather's cousin. Like, we're really getting yeah. up the family yeah, really, tree now. And we're really digging <laughs> Oh my god! Any others? Oh, I did find this one interesting. Adelaide Crows and Melbourne were the two highest polling teams at the W Awards Best and Fairest on Tuesday night. Adelaide had fifty-two, Melbourne forty-five. So that's across other players. I think for Crows that would be mostly Marinoff and Hatchard. They were right up there. And then Karen Paxman, seven votes at the W Awards, placed her as the equal highest vote getter in AFLW Best and Fairest history. She has 54 career votes alongside Ellie Blackburn. There you wow. go. And interesting, she, interestingly, she wasn't even in the extended squad for All Australian, which uh, surprised me. But I thought it really represented the difference between the two teams when you look at the W Awards. <clears throat> like Adelaide have these two stars that were second and third in the yep. competition, and we know that Aaron Phillips is obviously a previous winner, whereas Melbourne's was very evenly balanced. No one really stood out. A lot of players, it felt like, were around that sort of six to eight vote, vote mark without too many getting right up high and right among the contenders, which I think sort of shows the way they've played this season. It's very balanced. They share the goals around. They share the accolades around, or if there are <laughs> accolades, I think their biggest accolade was they had four players with Adelaide in the in the All-Australian team. They those two grand finalists dominated it. Daisy Pierce um, got her third blazer at first since 2018, I think, which shows how effective that role change has been. Mm. Um, but otherwise, apart from Pierce being named best captain again at the AFLPA Awards, like Melbourne have not really figured in in the awards situation where where Adelaide obviously was so so high up. So it, it is very much that that star power and the strong team system versus Melbourne, which is very team system with the occasional star turn from various players. Speaking of awards is a great segue into talking about 
the awards we had the w awards we've had the coaches association we've had the players association gongs as well so let's talk a little bit about our 2022 best and fairest emily bates from the brisbane lions i i tweeted it because i basically claim this as a win for the pod when lauren arnell joined us for an episode i asked her who who are you liking the look of and she was like oh no you've put me on the spot here and she was like Emily Bates, there's a Mm -hmm. tip for you. So I take Lauren Arnell tipping Emily Bates as a win for this podcast here. But how do you kind of sum up Bates' season and, you know, how deserving she really is of this award? Huge, right? She's got the the best and fairest. She got the Coaches Association. And last night she got the – we're recording this on Thursday morning. And last night she also got the MVP – Um, at the AFL Players Association Award. So she's got all three, and that's the first time a player, AFLW player, has done that since Erin Phillips, 2019. So not that long ago when I say first time since. She's the second ever to have done that. Um, Harriet? I love, I think Bates actually said it best herself. She said that as good as it was to to win a grand final, to be a premiership player, she she took a look at herself and said, I want to go from being, a consistently good player, like a consistent contributor to seeing what level I can reach, to seeing how I can fulfill my potential. And she said she made some off-season changes and like actively went from being, you know, a very good player. She was already a two-time All-Australian in her career, had played, I think she might've played every game like that she could have before this season or close enough to. And basically said, I want to make the step up. I want to be an elite player. Um, and she did that. Like she mm-hmm. was just a standout. She's a clearance machine. She uses the ball so well. She um, is hard at it. She her tackling stats are off the charts for very similar to Marinoff in that sense. For such an elite ball winner in her own right and clearance user, she gets in and does the does the hard stuff. She can kick goals. She she really is quite a complete player in that sense. Um, fantastic player. Clearly very well loved at Brisbane. Is a leader mm. there. She was the club's. I loved all these little like tidbits like she was the club's first ever draft pick back in 2016 um she's their first ever aflw best and fairest winner um which shows her quality as well and yeah i like that she was very much uh saying that she put it on her own shoulders to to get better and to be a better player because this sort of acceleration and growth doesn't come from nowhere like you don't just go from being a a good player to an or a very good player sorry to an elite player overnight I'm sure her teammates always thought she was elite in lots of areas but in terms of one of the standout players of the competition as you said Marnie only the second player to to just blitz the awards it's it's a full credit to her and obviously they would have loved to have gone back to back but when a player like Bates takes it to another level mm. you're gonna see her teammates lift to try and match that level or to try and you know, provide the best, best, best possible support for her to, to shine. And yeah, it was, it was thoroughly deserved. I don't think anyone could have had too many issues when they saw her hang on there. And it was a pretty thrilling finish, right? Like mm. Hatchard gets the two votes and then Bates gets the three to, to top it off. So it was, um yeah, clearly a pretty special night. Imagine how good she could be and Hatchie as well if uh, they were full time. Just imagine <laughs> if you didn't have to have another Just job. Hmm. If these, if the the one thing that was funny actually 
watching the vote count because obviously it goes quite quickly. I was just thinking, oh, but imagine like how this would pan out were the season longer, like not just yeah, yeah, absolutely ten rounds. Like mm. could could players like Bates, you know, see it through for a whole season? Could a a Haley Miller have come home strong again? Like would someone else have? have popped up. We saw Riddell, I think, just got stronger and stronger as the season went on. Obviously, she had that disposals record in the last round. But it just made me think the whole way through, like, imagine if this went, be a long night if it went for 20 rounds, but you get maybe a better indicator of how good these players can be across the length of a season. I've got no doubt players like like Emily Bates and Hayley Miller, who are, you know, like just such professionals, I've got no doubt they would continue to poll strongly throughout. But yeah, it was just, it, it was great that it was such a thrilling finish because I think, you know, when you've got a short season, you can easily so, see someone get a few threes early and it'd be all over. Mm. But it was quite an exciting count in that sense. But well, yeah. Yeah, because Batesy, she started to really get those votes at the um, later half of the rounds and it was all hinging on round 10. So you're absolutely right. Imagine if there was heat more to go and we could have seen other players come up in that count. We could have seen... Miller get some more it could have been very very interesting I wonder how many more shoeys we also could have got if there were more rounds how good was that like it was (laughs) a a really lovely speech from Emily Bates like Mm. she was talking about her mom and saying oh my mom my mom probably picked it because she thinks I'm the best footy player in the world and then she actually (laughs) looking at her mom on the table there she clearly did um she was having a good time and then she played a really um poignant tribute to her father who mm. introduced her to footy at Yoronga Footy Club where I think that still plays her sort of state league footy um but he passed away um when she was 15 so obviously never got to see her talent I guess come to fruition in the form of of the AFLW so that was a really a really lovely moment and you could see that the the whole room sort of went silent and, and appreciated her sharing that um and then like not very long after it, it took a pretty funny turn because she was talking yeah, a bit about of a mood switch. Yeah. She was talking about her, her teammates and then she was talking about Craig Starsvich and then she just drops, oh yeah, and he promised he'd do a shoey if I won. And then she's like laughing and you just see the camera pans to him and he's like <laughs> slowly taking off the laces. He's like, no, I I can't. I can't let the team down now. <laughs> I've committed to this. I've committed and I to love- this bit now. And she's like, no, 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 you don't have to do it. And it just goes back and forth for a little bit. And he's so casually just, it was, and it was a mimosa. Shoey, to be honest. It was a mimosa that he's poured in. That was my favourite part. It wasn't even a beer. I think it's the first mimosa shoey we've ever seen. Just so W awards. I'm but do you know what the worst bit is, is he'd have had to put that shoe back on. I like know. the night was not done. Oh. Like what? <laughs> Soggy so, mimosa sock for the evening. Oh, Love it. That's a, that's a real commitment. Um. But yeah, it's it's set a high mark now forever for any coach that uh that sees their player, <laughs> that sees their player win the the best and fairest. It was great, and I think it really showed like the camaraderie that you've got at Brisbane, how well they all get along, and we know that that came to fruition in that in that premiership finally last season. Um, but it was just a great night, and I think it just topped off um what was a really well done event, and where the players just looked like they were having a ball, like <laughs> so. Yeah, good on Emily Bates. Absolutely. And that was one of my favorite parts as well, is that it very much felt like we got all the personality of players, which is, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to compare to the men's, but with the men's, it feels just very like black tie, pretty dresses. 
um, everyone sit down. It's award night. But the W Awards felt like it really just went off and you had all these players genuinely having a really good time and really just like feeling themselves and their team and this competition that they seem to all really love. Marissa, did you have a favourite part of the W Awards? It was Stars' shoey, but sure. I, I, I tweeted this as well. I was just like, every time I watch the awards, I remind, I'm remind i reminded that I need to buy a matching power suit. I need to get the blazer yeah. in the pants in a very bright colour and then I need to find yeah. an awards ceremony to <laughs> rock up to in this power suit because the players just, we're not here to critique their fashion, but they scrub up very well and it was just... Well done to all of them. They looked sensational. They looked like they had an absolute ball. Just want to quickly talk about some of the other mm. award winners. So obviously Mimi Hill, the rising star money, you had some quick thoughts on her nod. Well, it has been a bit talked about since Tuesday, but just to come back from an ACL injury, then to come back and arguably be Carlton's best player and most impactful player I would say she's one of the most valuable on that side and to get the rising star that is just a mammoth effort that is she should be so proud of that and Carlton should be so stoked to have her on the side Uh, I can't remember who said it or where I saw it but Karen Harrington apparently embraced her and said this is your moment and just take a moment to realize how big this is because it is huge I think rising star can sometimes be undershadowed by best and fairest because it is the night of you know the w award but rising star is a huge achievement and it's so promising of where this competition is going to have someone like mimi hill take it out and be the future of this comp it's really exciting her story is absolutely sensational we also had talia randall picking up mark of the year and ebony antonio picking up goal of the year i love that she was described as the human highlights reel that made me (laughs) giggle a lot harrow i know yeah, Talia Randall, just close, just close your eyes and jump. <laughs> yeah, you know what? If it sticks, it works. So it was an absolutely sensational grab. But I was going to say, we also obviously had the All Australian team announced, and there was one player in particular who racked up a pretty incredible achievement. Harry, you had some thoughts on on this incredible feat of longevity. I'm going to call it. Emma Carney became the first and only player to be named All-Australian in all six seasons. Um, Last season, it was um, Emma and obviously Karen Paxman, who'd been named All-Australian in all five seasons. Paxi missed out on the extended squad, let alone the 22, which is a contentious point in my opinion. But anyway, uh, Emma Carney, what a like warrior of a player she's been. She's been such a dominant midfielder. We know she has that explosiveness. She can kick goals and... She's a leader. She does it all. A former best and fairest winner, league best and fairest winner. Um, but this season, she actually spent a lot of time behind the ball, which is a, a change up in role. She got used off half back as Riddell sort of really shone through the midfield. And it is a credit to her quality and her attitude and her leadership that she was willing to take that step and, and take on a different role, I guess, for the, um, I guess what they would consider the betterment of the team or you know, you get that poise, that experience, but also that explosiveness that she has. And to to once again be recognised as an All-Australian is, is terrific. And she was also named the captain of this team, which um, you could tell clearly meant a lot to her. Mm. So it, it's a remarkable show of, of longevity for a player who's starring in the State League before, you know, the, the AFLW was a thing, who used to juggle footy and cricket and has just focused on footy for the past few years. 
um, who has, has been a really outstanding leader, not just on the field, but I think off the field as well in terms of being comfortable with who she is and to talk about... Um, she's talked about a variety of issues on and off the field. I think she was one of the players who's really vocal in terms of um, Indigenous rights, um, in terms of LGBTIQ plus community. She's, she's really found her voice in recent years. She sort of touched on that in terms of being comfortable with who she is as well. Um, and it's been a really, I guess, stellar... Uh, contributor to the AFLW for a very long time and is maybe like these players we've talked about like Pierce Paxman for example uh, one of those players who sort of has experienced the pre-AFLW and the post-AFLW and has has really stood out on both sides um, of those moments in history so it was just great to see someone like that who's been such a great contributor to the game for so long get a little moment of recognition. And if you would like to see our Australian team, you can see it on ESPN.com.au. Got to get our plugs in. All right. One word tip for this grand final, Marnie, Adelaide or Melbourne? I don't want to say. I've been flip-flopping every time that I ask. Well, I'm going to be there with my dad in Adelaide Crow's car, so I'm going to say Crow's. (laughs) Harrow? Uh, Head says Adelaide, heart says Melbourne, but I think my head's going out here. I was literally going to say the exact same thing. So we can't wait to talk about this grand final very shortly. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.